Last week, those of you who were here and can think back all that distance, I was telling you that the Jesus used the metaphor of the good shepherd in that reading. And um, when you talk about a good shepherd, it contrasts with a bad shepherd. And I rem- reminded you that for thousands of years, a shepherd was the term given to rulers, to pharaohs, to princes, to all of the great empires. And Jesus was contrasting himself with all of that. Well, he's at, a, he's at it again this week because he says he's the vine, but he says he's the true vine. And the vine, as everybody knows, who's listening to Jesus, is Israel. That's the symbol of the nation. During one of the great revolts just before the birth of Jesus, when they managed to control, the the Israelites had managed to control their city, Jerusalem, and the surrounding region, uh, and keep the Romans uh, at bay because they were just beginning to develop uh, as an an empire. They stamped their own coins, and on them they stamped the vine. And when they built the temple, they built a frieze above it, and they put on it the vine. The vine meant Israel. It meant the nation. So when Jesus says, I am the true vine, he's in contrast. He's in contrast with what it means to be a true Israelite, to be a true nation. And he's not alone. Of course, the prophets have been banging on about this for centuries. They're full of critique at the failure of the people to live up to being the people they're supposed to be. And John, the Gospel of John, the writer of the Gospel of John, who also is the writer of the letter that that Margaret read for us, 1 John. They're either the same writer or certainly from the same community, most scholars believe. That John pegs Jesus as a prophet all the way through. So Jesus is doing the same thing of saying, hang on, this is what you say about yourselves. This is what we're doing. Look at the gap. See, you you can't understand anything about the Gospel of John, and it's pretty hard to understand anything about the Gospel of John at all. But if you can't understand it, unless you understand some of the substructure, some of the assumptions that the person and the community that is birthed this document is talking about. The whole heart of the universe, according to the Gospel of John, is love. That is the central organising principle. It's the kind of skeleton on which the body is built. And in 1 John, we hear that God is love. And it goes on in in another part of the reading that we didn't get to, but you could read for yourselves, that not only is God love, but love is God. They're kind of interchangeable. There's this understanding that the whole energy of the universe is love. And it's not a sentiment, but it's the energy and purpose of the cosmos. That's the assumption that the Gospel of John is making. And unless you understand that... It doesn't make much sense. It's hard to make sense of it anyway. But when you assume that, that love is at the heart of everything. And, of course, love is, is, is at least two things. And we kind of... Love is like one of those things that we know when it's present. And we certainly know when it's absent, even though we can't necessarily define it all the, all the time. But it's certainly acknowledgement, isn't it? It's the acknowledgement that I am here And that I am a human being. In the Black Lives Matter protests in the US and here in Australia, people would call out, say my name. 
And then they would call out the names of the people who'd been brutalised by the police. The actual individual names. Trayvon Martin and on and on and on. Not only because they needed to keep a list of the people who'd been so badly damaged and murdered, but they needed to say, these are individuals, they're not numbers. I am an individual. Say my name. Love is about acknowledgement. And it's about care in acknowledgement. So it's a thing of strength and guts and reality. And that's at the heart of this story, of this metaphor. Cornel West, one of America's great public intellectuals, said, justice is what love looks like in public. Justice is what love looks like in public. So if you're loving, you're just. And if we're living justly, then we're loving. This is the assumptions that are behind the Gospel of John. It's as if it's like the ocean. There are surface storms all the time. And then underneath, there's the strong, unaffected currents that keep on moving. And, well, they are being affected, of course, as we know, by climate change. But the metaphor still holds. The surface, there are storms underneath of a strong currents. And the Gospel of John assumes the strong current of the world is love, continuing to move. Love, justice, acknowledgement, care. Even with the storms. And we all know the storms, don't we? I mean, the 20th century is enough to tell us that the storms can be brutal and controlling and damaging beyond anything we could imagine. And we're in a storm at the moment with COVID, aren't we? But underneath, the Gospel of John is assuming there's this current that is at the heart of everything, the structure of everything. This is what Martin Luther King meant when he said that the moral, uh, the, 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 the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice. The arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. And then, of course, he was assassinated. Do you think he still believed that in the last moment of his life? I, I, I want to believe that he did, that even in the terrible moments, he believed that the arc of the moral universe, as long as it, as it is, and as uncertain as it is, and we are the recipients of the horrors of the 20th century, still bends toward justice. King's underlying assumptions is the same as the Gospel of John. This is why the, this little metaphor goes on about cutting and pruning. And cutting and pruning, by the way, are almost the same thing. It's exactly the same word in Greek with a tiny uh, addition of a prefix. So cutting is one word and pruning is the other, but it's a wordplay that we, we can't get in English. But love is the essential work. It's the thing that we've got to do. It's the only thing that we have. That I've often used that poem from Michael Lernig, love and fear, they're the two things in the world and we only ever have a choice between them. That's why it's not enough to say out loud how much being a Christian means to me if what we do is leave men and women and children to rot on islands offshore or in legal limbo here 
year after year after year, being unable to access care and being unable to seek work. It's not enough to praise God in church and then cut funding over and over again to the vulnerable while rewarding the rich with tax cuts. It's just not. It's not enough, the prophets tell us. And remember, John considers Jesus a prophet. It's not enough to build glorious houses with wonderful windows in them and cedar beams and neglect or oppress the poor and the needy and force workers to work for a pittance. Whatever that is, that's not love. It's kind of go should go without saying. It's not enough to provide good aged care for those who can afford it. That's dead easy. It's not enough. What Clayton Church Homes is doing and has done all through its existence is wrestle with the fact that they can provide aged care for people who can afford it because you just keep doing it and you just charge more. But it's an organisation that's forced by its very existence and by its very nature to consider how do we do good for the whole community? How do we help those people who can't afford the top quality of aged care? How do we pay our staff a living wage in a very constrained environment? And I know that the board and the staff think the, about these things all the time. Otherwise, it would be the easiest job in the world, wouldn't it? You just, you know, charge more and the rich come and, well, anyone can do that. And in fact, anyone does do it. I worked in aged care in the United, uh, in, in the United States and there were plenty of aged care facilities that looked like luxury hotels. And they were doing fine and still are. This is a much harder job. How do we care for it? How do we do this? How do we, who are not in aged care at this point in our lives, but are likely to be, or who have people that we love in aged care, or people that we love who work in aged care, how do we remind our government, particularly in this moment, to pay attention to the Royal Commission report? And not only to put in more money, but to pay attention to the regulations and the requirements so that those organisations that would like to skirt around them are forced not to. So that organisations like CCH and so many others that aren't interested in skirting around but interested in doing goodness are not penalised. This is much harder than I wanted it to be. You know, I would like this to be a story about love and I just care for the people that I care for and they care for me and we go on picnics together and it would be, that's what life should be. But it's not, it's a much tougher thing to do. And if John is right and Jesus is a prophet, then it's a constant calling out, not only of us collectively, but of us as individuals. How do we actually respond to this? What does it look like to live justly? Well, most of the time I haven't got a clue. I mean, most of the time I look at the complexity of my life and I can't quite figure out what to do. I only have to think momentarily about my impact on the environment to get so confused by what I shouldn't throw away and what I should, what I shouldn't buy and what I should and who I should buy it from and who manufactured it. And I can lose the will to live in a moment. And yet, this is the call all the time to keep working together on this. And that's the secret, is working together. 
Clayton Church Homes would be a hopeless organisation if all it did was assume that everyone was an individual and all you had to do was just look after individual by individual, all the staff were individuals and nobody had to be in connection with each other, it would be a terrible organisation. And we have terrible organisations like that all across our community that assume we're all atomised individuals. But CCH puts an enormous amount of effort and so do so many of other our aged care agencies. We're just talking about this because this is our Sunday on how do we do this together? And it's hard. It turns out that aged care is full of really kind of cranky people. Not just some residents and some staff and some board members. It turns out Clayton Wesley United Church is full of fairly cranky people too. And so is it. Look, it's not that easy. We know that. But this is the work we must do in order to... Because you can't do it by yourself. And I certainly can't do it by myself. All right, I'm going to finish... This came to me this morning while I was thinking about this. My father-in-law, who's now been dead 10 years, was a great Rotarian. And in America, being a Rotarian is a much bigger deal than it is here. He was a great Rotarian, wear his badge everywhere. And he had, you know, you've got little other badges for how many years you've been in it. He'd been in it since he was a baby, I think. And he would always quote this, the the Rotarian's four-way test. And it's really powerful. And it's powerful enough. And these are the kinds of things that a good board at Clayton Church Homes, and we have one, and and a good organisation at Clayton Wesley and the the Parish Mission Council and all of the things that we're involved in. If we ask these questions, they're very powerful. Is it the truth? One. Is it the truth? Wouldn't it be great if a little more often our federal government and our state governments just told us the unvarnished truth. We're not dumb. We're not idiots. Just tell us the truth. Is it the truth? First, is it fair to all concerned? Three, will it build goodwill and better friendships? Will it build goodwill and better friendships? You can... Can you... I can think of just decisions I've had to make just this week in some of our organisational stuff here in our little outfit. Will it build goodwill and better friendships? And finally, number four, will it be beneficial to all? Will it be beneficial? Actually, will it be beneficial to all concerned? I should know this since my father-in-law repeated it almost daily. Will it be beneficial to all concerned? Is it truth? Is it fair to all concerned? Will it build goodwill and better friendships? And will it be beneficial to all concerned? That's our challenge. Certainly the challenge that Greg and the members of the board have, that the staff at Clayton Church Homes have, and the residents who have to build community together have. And it's our challenge in this congregation and in all the other things for which we are, to which we are responsible.